Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 147 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about things that go bump in the night. Now, one of the most common complaints I hear from hikers who camp overnight is the inability to get a good night's sleep. And while some of this can be put down to gear-related issues, more often than not, it can be a state of mind. The first time you camp in the bush, in particular by yourself, every little sound is magnified. The slithering or crunching just outside your tent the movement of your tent when there's no wind at all can all combine to make hikers a bit agitated. In this episode, we discuss those issues that impact on our sleep on the trail, focusing on more so on the non-equipment related ones and look at what we can do to get a better night's sleep. We hope you enjoy. Now, there are a number of things that can cause bad night's sleeps or on the trail, or, or more, more positively, what can contribute to getting a good night's sleep. But what does a good night's sleep mean? And really, this, for, for everybody who, whether they're at home or out on the trail, is going to vary. It really is an individual thing. So the recommendation from most medical uh, uh uh, practitioners tends to be somewhere between seven to nine hours for an adult. That would be fantastic, <laughs> even at home, let alone yeah. on the trail. Yeah, and I think um, you know certainly from my perspective, I I tend to operate probably on five and a half to six hours sleep, and probably have done for more than twenty years. Um, so you know, I don't need a lot of sleep to get a, a good night's rest. Uh, whereas Jill? Well, I don't actually need a lot of sleep. It's just that I'm in bed a long time because I can't get the sleep. <laughs> so Tim thinks that I must be getting 10 or 11 hours sleep a night, but no. <laughs> and, and I must admit, it, it, it isn't unusual. Uh, typically, females do require more sleep. It's just one of those things. Not that but, much sleep, but but there is a there is an issue that we've talked about previously about the bedmate who's a snorer. Uh, so apart from the issue of length of sleep, probably quality of sleep is just as important as quantity. And I know from my perspective, um, typically when I'm going out camping, if, particularly if I'm by myself, it's not unusual for me. I'll, I'll, uh, a typical day for me is I'll tend to stop walking at around about uh, sometime between 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock, depending on uh, what time of the year it is. I'll make camp, I'll set up, I'll have dinner, uh, I'll do a bit of social media or um, uh, write about the trip for the day uh, and it's not unusual for me to be um, in my tent, laid out, uh, trying to get to sleep from around about 7 to 7.30 in the evening. On the opposite end of that, um, I do not need uh, 10 hours of sleep. Uh, so um, I will typically wake up um, uh, quite frequently through the night. Uh, and um, I, as soon as it's remotely looking light in the morning, depending on the time of the year, I'm up and getting packed and getting organized and eating breakfast. 
Yeah, so um, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit the same, but I will sleep a little bit longer. Probably not a, a quality sleep, but uh, we'll sleep a little bit longer. So Tim's job is to boil the water for the cup of tea first thing in the morning. So he, he gets to get up and get out and uh, I'll uh, gradually come to light and tidy up the tent, I think, is what I do. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's often the case for me that uh, that I will actually, as as Jill said, uh, even though it might be still a bit dark, I'll, I'll uh, the, the the stove is normally ready to go. There's water in there. All I've really got to do is put it outside so it's not inside the tent, um, turn it on, and get the uh, the water ready to boil. Uh, and by the time we've um, had a cup of tea, then had breakfast, you know, it's getting light, and we can start packing and heading off. So uh, what, what a good night's sleep is is really going to vary. Uh, and it can be a, a bit of a, a, a complex issue when you have one partner that out of habit will want long sleeps uh, or want to go to bed late and get up early. And there's a term that we've, we've talked about in the past, which is hiker's midnight, uh, which is typically considered around about 9 o'clock. And if you've, you've gone to bed at 6.30, 7, 7.30, you know, you've already been asleep an hour and a half, two, three hours by the time you get to 9 o'clock. So it's not unusual to, to be that late in the night. Yeah, but, I mean, I think it is an individual thing and there were some hikers that we met on the Lara Pinta Trail who, you know, they tended to do stuff later into the night and, you know, they they talked and... Um, but they were also later getting off um, and there was one group that, uh, gee, it must have been about 10 o'clock and they, they're just starting to pack up and uh, move off the campsite uh, as we were walking through and it was like, whoa, we've been going for hours. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's one of those sort of things. It really depends on you as an individual. Uh, it also depends on how much distance you're trying to cover through the daytime. If you're planning on having a big day, it, it, it typically means, uh, in most cases, means a long day. Um, but it really is, as we said, an individual thing. Now, there can be a number of causes of poor quality sleep. Uh, and as we said, we'll touch briefly on the equipment-related uh, side of things. Uh, and then we're going to focus more on uh, the things that go bump in the night. So the first one is warmth overall. If you are cold when you're trying to get to sleep, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes to actually get to sleep, uh, and it's a, probably going to be a struggle to stay asleep uh, during the night if you really are getting cold. So having the appropriate clothing and having the appropriate uh, sleeping mat and sleeping pad, which all form your sleep system, is really important. Uh, and this is something that um, does take a bit of uh, uh uh, determining. Um, uh, again, every individual is different on in how they uh, determine cold. Um, so, you know, if you've got a sleeping bag that you've miscalculated and you've bought your slumber sleeping bag and it's too cold and it's going to be minus five degrees, you're not going to have a good night's sleep. No, I think I think that's right. And um, I, I think the thing thing for me is that it actually varies. So when you, even when you have um, a good system worked out, sometimes you can just have one of those really, really bad nights where, you know, every breeze, you know, blows through you or you, you know, you've uh, 
think that you've got the right amount of clothing on, but, you know, you're overly hot or whatever it might be. So, you know, even those random things happen as well that you need to be prepared for as well. So, yeah, it, it does take a bit of practice to work out what, what it is that keeps you happy at night time from a warmth point of view. Um, but once you've got that locked down, you generally know that, okay, this is the forecast for the night or this is the, the, the environment I'm going into. This is the sort of clothing I need. And I think particularly with in relation to clothing, a good layering system where you can add things and take things off, which means you know if you've, if you've only got a really thick down jacket and that's your only option, it's either on or it's off. But when you can strip layers uh, off or put layers on as you need to, it makes things a bit more flexible. The other thing that we also need to be is comfortable. So you might have a really warm set of clothing and a warm sleeping bag um, and you've got you've forgotten your sleeping mat as an example and you're sleeping on the ground. You may be warm but you're not likely to be comfortable and as a result your sleep's going to be a bit disturbed. Well, if you're on the ground you're probably not warm either. No, no. Um, I mean, having uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the foam-style sleeping mats. Uh, I tend to be a sleeper that sleeps on their back, sleeps on the front, sleeps on the side and if you've ever tried to sleep on your side on hard ground in a foam mat, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. So I'm a big fan of inflatable sleeping mats, um, but that, again, is a personal choice. And the other thing I'd say here in relation to comfortable sleeping is having a good camping site. Now, typically what a good site is is flat, uh, no rocks or sticks underneath the tent, so you're not going to have things digging into you. Um, and flat is a fairly um, flexible sort of term here. Getting dead flat ground that's flat across your tent or whatever sleeping um, system you've got, or as well as up and down, um, is often very difficult. So if you have too much of a slope one way or the other, or both ways for that matter, you're going to spend the whole night sliding off your sleeping mat, sliding into the side of the tent. You're constantly waking up to, to manoeuvre yourself back into the correct position. Sliding again. into your partner. So, yeah, it's, it's worthwhile spending a bit of time and a bit of effort finding a good sleeping um, uh, location. Uh, and I've had trips like this where I've... Um, and again, I'll use this as an example. Uh, in 2018, when I did the Bibbleman track, I spent probably an hour looking for a decent sleeping site, and I just couldn't find one that was um, flat or uh, wasn't uh, full of rocks or it just wasn't quite right. And when I did find one, it was getting it was getting on fairly dark. Um, and in hindsight, the next day I found one 200 meters on, which was probably the best one in a 10 or 15 <laughs> kilometer distance, yeah. but I didn't know that. So hindsight's a really wonderful thing. So it, it really comes down to work out what time you're going to walk to. So again, for me, from about, about 3.30-ish onwards, I'll start looking at tent sites. And if I know there are good sites available further on, that's fine. Or I know there's a cabin or a, a sleeping platform I'm heading to. But if I am sleeping on the ground, I'll start looking to find out a good site. And if I see one that's just slightly earlier than when I planned on stopping, we'll stop. Uh, only because it means that you know, you're going to get a good night's sleep as a result. 
Yeah, I think the other thing to think about here is that even if you are heading for a designated site, when a, a camping site, when you get there, there are all sorts of spots that you can um, pitch your tent. And, um, you know, I, li- I like the tent to be in the sun in the morning. Uh, that's kind of a preference for me. Um, but sometimes that means... Uh, that it's close to a water source. Um, it's not in danger of the water source, so it's you know well away. away. But sometimes, uh, if you're too close, you can actually get a lot of cold air coming up from the water in in the night. Um, and you know, strangely, strangely, possibly, um, you you've camped next to a, a picnic table or something like that because it's convenient and and so on but it also happens to be close to the water so you know you think oh, I've got this great spot and it's really convenient and then in the middle of the night you're going whoa what's that icy feel coming up and it's actually the water um, so you've got the sun in the morning you've got the picnic table but the downside is you've got the water um, and the cold that comes with that during the night. And I think that's the thing. Yeah, we've talked about um, not having an impact on the environment where you go hiking and camping. Uh, and in most cases, you want to probably be, if you can, anywhere up to uh, at least 100 metres away from water sources so you don't contaminate it. Um, and, and you know, this is one of the other reasons that camping too close to water, particularly in the colder months of the year, the chill really does get into your bones and it makes quite a big impact. Yeah, well, it's interestingly on the on the uh, human hovel trail, though, I don't think there are any of the campsites that were 100 metres away from the water. But No, and in fact, there were a couple that um, the designated campsites were probably only around about eight metres away from the water. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> great. And, you know, the, the sort of sound of running water all night, but, geez, they were cold. <laughs> Now, and I think the, this, this, the, uh, the human hovel track was actually built in a time where they didn't consider such things. They just thought of convenience rather than, oh, you're having a negative impact on the water source. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is one of these things that if you've got a choice, pick a flat campsite, pick it close to water but not so close that you know, you, it's going to impact on you. Now, moving away from uh, comfort and warmth, we're moving into what's called the first night syndrome. Uh, And if you want to find out more about this, we have a written article on this, uh, and we'll have the link to that in our show notes. And really what this comes down to is, if you think when you go traveling for work or you're away from home, um, you know, you've, you've gone away from your comfortable uh, uh, usual bed that you're used to to a, a new bed and as and as good as it might be you don't tend to sleep as well as you do when you're at home and this goes for camping as well that you know you've gone from a nice warm comfortable bed all of a sudden you're in a tent you're in the open um, you're hearing lots of sounds and noises uh, everything's not quite familiar so you tend to you tend to sort of startle at any sort of noise that comes up uh, and as a result, um, you you just don't get as good a night sleep the first night you're, you're away from your usual sleeping uh, habit. And this is a documented thing. It is something that does actually occur. Uh, but stretch this a bit further and think about doing a multi-week hike where every night you are camping in a different location. And while you might be used to your sleeping bag and your sleeping mat and sleeping in your tent – What's outside is different each time. 
So I know from my perspective on long-distance trips, particularly when I'm, I'm tra- uh, travelling by myself, uh, that I'll have very disturbed sleep patterns. Um, so in that situation, I know that I need, I can't just get away with five to six hours sleep. Uh, that means I'd be walking at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, it means that I need to have a much longer sleep to get the to get the length and the quality of sleep that I need. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit like that normally, uh, definitely when I'm uh, on the trail as well. Um, but I think for you know for me, um, when I'm going to sleep, I'm really really aware of where I am and what's happening. I'm I'm actually quite okay if I manage to get to sleep. <laughs> From there, we move on to the things that go bump in the night. Ah, uh, this and, is it. This the, is it. Yeah, and this this probably best relates to sounds in most cases. So this tends to be a big issue when you first start camping uh, overnight, and particularly if you are the first time you camp by yourself. Um, you know, if you're camping in a big group of people, you've got people moving around you and there's the accompanying noise of other people. Uh, but when you're by yourself, you hear every little noise and every little noise is amplified. So the most obvious one here is the wind. Uh, usually in most cases you are out in the open and even if you're in a forested area, you're getting wind blowing across the tent at certain times of the night. Uh, and it may not be disturbing, but just all of it, 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 in some instances, it actually can be quite loud. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, even the smallest wind, uh, you know, hitting the tent in a, at a particular angle uh, can make you think, oh, there's a gale blowing out there, and then you get out and it's like, mm, there's nothing. <laughs> you know, no, there's a bit of, bit of drama for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next in one in the in the, the natural sense is animals, and this is probably a good one here. Uh, we have had animals impact us on us on such a regular basis. It really is probably well. We're not- out in the wild. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of the point. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, give you some instances of this. Um, when we were hiking on the overland track. Uh, we were sleeping on one of the tent platforms that was available. Uh, we had the food inside the tent because we knew possums were an issue at this site. Uh, we'd gone to bed. The food was in a its own special sack at the end of the, our feet. And uh, not long after we go to bed, we feel something at the bottom of the tent. And it was actually a possum that it was putting its claws up through the cracks in the um, in the, the, the tent platform trying to get the food through the tent. Yeah. Uh, now... We got out of there, we banged our feet a bit, it disappeared again uh, and then moved on to the next campsite <laughs> yeah. and the next well, campsite. Well, uh, the luck, yeah, the next platform, the lucky next platform. <laughs> uh, and we did. We, we, talked to the, we talked to everyone else in the area in the morning and they said, yeah, we got, got visited by a possum. Mm-hmm. So it obviously was moving its way through the campsites. It, well, you, we got warned though. I mean, it was, it was well, well known and uh, there were lots of warnings in some of the the guide material, as and we'd bumped into one of the rangers, and so even with all of that, it was it was a moment of very weirdness. You know, it was like, whoa, what's that? <laughs> Other animal instances we've had that have impacted on us. Uh, one of the campsites we use um, in the Bembrew Wilderness, just outside of Canberra. Uh, there's always kangaroos in this one particular area. Um, we had left our camp kitchen, uh, which basically meant our stove set up uh, outside the tent. 
uh, with the pots. Uh, we'd cleaned everything up. There was no food out there. Uh, but, you know, half an hour after we went to bed, there were, we could hear some rattling of our pots and got out. And here was a, 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 a roughly a, 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 an adolescent Joey that was nosing around um, uh, to see if there's any food there. Well, well trained, obviously knew that pots meant food, but you know, unfortunately for for him, there were you know not a trace of food in our pots. But uh, yeah, obviously well trained. The other thing that can impact on hikes as well is rats and mice, whether they be the European. I hate mice. Did I tell you that? <laughs> and this might be the European introduced pests, or they might be the bush rats. Um, I on one of my nights on the Bibbleman track, I'd cleaned up for the night. I'd actually hung my food bag because I was I was I was conscious that uh, mice could be an issue in some of these huts. Um, I'd gone through and cleaned my. Um, cup and my uh, stove and my my spoon and put it on the uh, the bench and I can hear some noise in the night and I got up here was a rat that had my plastic drinking mug uh, and I screamed at it as I leapt out of my sleeping bag and it dropped it uh, and ran away but by that stage it had already chewed a hole in it so I'd lost my mug uh, for the use for that that trip <laughs> um, Mice and rats are known for chewing through um, uh, packs uh, and they will put holes in your pack, which is, uh, you know, they can do an awful lot of damage to a pack if they want to. So if you know, you, the trails and the campsites are known for mice, you really are best hanging your food in the trees just to be on the safe side. Oh, look, um, I, I have to say when I um, when we we're planning to go on the Larapinta Trail, um, I heard that there was a big mouse plague and just cannot handle, just cannot handle mice in any way. I don't know why. Um, and so um, every night I used to take the, the pack liner out of my pack and uh, basically essentially it was big enough. I, I would put, put it then over the top of the pack uh, with everything that was in it and seal everything that was in it and sometimes I would have the pack inside the, the tent. But I just thought I, I can't bear the thought of, you know, putting my hand into my pack and finding a mouse. <laughs> I just I couldn't do that. It never happened but it's more the thought of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, always, I always kept my boots inside the tent as well so, you know, none, none of this sort of putting your foot onto something squashy in the middle of the night when you needed to go. So, yeah, it's it's one of these sort of things that, you know, we, we are in a wild environment. There are animals of various types, and if they can find easy food, they will do. And typically it's when hikers don't clean up after mm. themselves or they've been habitualised and they know that hikers mean food. So if it's a well-known, regularly used campsite, it's not uncommon. Yeah, and sometimes there's just that funny little scratchy noise, which is, you know, a creature going about its business in the middle of the night and is completely oblivious to you. Um, but again, the noise is amplified. It's probably the tiniest thing in the world um, of no interest, of no harm to you, but... That, that scratchy noise just gets louder and louder and louder the more you focus on it. <laughs> 
And I think the thing with animal noises in particular is, particularly when you're new to hiking, you know, we, we don't have the issue of bears or, or, or large predators like, like the, the Americas or Africa <laughs> I just, has. I just, yeah, I just can't get my head around that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, it is even the small stuff can be a bit disconcerting. Um, you know, things sound really loud uh, and when you're not used to them, it can be a, a, a something that will uh, uh Will impact on your sleep and worry your sleep. So those those noises, yeah, and the animals really don't care too much what they're there, and they'll wander past the tent. Uh, sometimes they'll brush past the tent as well, and all you can think of is there's a there's a mass murderer outside. <laughs> <that tent. laughs> Uh, and it really does uh, takes you a few hours then to get back to sleep again. So, you know, even when you get out and see it's a kangaroo and think, okay, that's fine, but your sleep your sleep's been disturbed, and as a result, you're just not going to get a good night's sleep. Now, the last thing that tends to go bump in the night is humans, uh, and. Um, I, from previous episodes, you'll be aware, I'm not a big fan of sleeping in huts. Where I, where I can, I <laughs> and people who sleep in huts are not a big fan of you being there with them. Do no, you? <laughs> no, I, I agree. It's a two way thing. Um, I do snore when I am really tired. You snore all the time. <laughs> But, but I'm guaranteed of snoring when it's uh, when, it, when I'm really tired and that, that means when I'm hiking. So I'd rather be away from people and not disturb them. Yeah, I would prefer that too because I spend the whole night protecting him thinking someone's just going to get really so outraged by this noise that they'll, you know, pull out the knife or something and I, I'm the protector. So, yeah, and, and the other way as well that, you know, other people make noises, whether it's them snoring, it's them talking late into the night. Um, so, you know, if you are going to be uh, uh, dealing with um, uh, sleeping cabins or shelters uh, and you're a, you're a big snorer or you're a light sleeper, it may be worthwhile uh, sleeping somewhere further away from the shelters in your own tent and you're having a bit more privacy. Yeah, find, finding an alternative. Um, I'm always, um, you know, my... My preference is always to take Tim into the tent away from everyone else if if we're at a campsite uh, where there's a, a cabin and uh, there's an option for sleeping indoors. Uh, I think probably there are exceptions. So, again, when uh, we were on the overland track and uh, we were at a particular campsite and uh, there were huge numbers of leeches on the tent sites and I just thought, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're going to go inside and I will deal with Tim and the snoring and everybody else in their snoring and uh, sleep in a bunk instead. Now, in relation to quick fixes to how to get good night's sleep, the things we want to look at is earplugs, particularly if you are a light sleeper or you're sleeping in a, uh, in a cabin where there's lots of people. Uh, helps you, doesn't help them, but at least it means you're likely to get a good night's sleep. Having a uh, comfortable, warm clothing to sleep in, uh, and now that may mean you have a dedicated set of sleep clothing, and a lot of hikers will do that. They'll have a separate set of clothing that they sleep in. They'll then put that back in the pack for the next night, and they'll put on even damp clothes for the next day if the weather's been bad, just so they know they've got that warm, comfortable set of clothing at the end of the night. Yeah, I tend to, if it's really, really cold, I'll tend to sleep in my thermals, my long johns, um, but uh, only if it's really, really, really cold. 
Yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm one of these people that I will sleep typically in my underwear, occasionally thermals if it's exceptionally cold, but I prefer not to sleep in my full set of hiking gear. Uh, preferring to have it available for the next day, depending on what the conditions are like. Yeah, I usually wear a singlet or a T-shirt um, and some underpants. But uh, on the Human Hovel Trail, when, uh, you know, I don't know how low the temperature got, but it was it was pretty icy in the morning. There was snow on the tent um, when we got up. And I had everything on that I was hiking with. So every layer, <laughs> the beanie, the gloves, the whole bit. I'm still cold. <laughs> All right. Have an appropriate sleep system. And we talked about um, sleep systems in episode 19. And we're talking about not just the clothing, but the sleeping mat, uh, a sleeping bag liner and a sleeping uh, bag. Um, they work in combination. Uh, it's no good having the world's best sleeping bag on a really poor quality sleeping mat. Uh, it tends to negate a lot of the benefits of the sleeping bag. And vice versa, it's no good having the best sleeping mat in the world and having a, a really cheap and nasty sleeping bag that's not going to keep you warm. So have a listen to episode 19. Uh, it gives you a bit more information about what to look for. Choosing a good tent site, as we mentioned, uh, Sometimes it's easier said than done. And on the Larapenta Trail, we walked past the designated campsite because there was a lot of exposed toilet paper, uh, there's a lot of flies, and this was right towards the end of the the hiking season and people had just been lazy in burying their toilet waste. Um, So we ended up walking for another one and a half to two kilometres and we could have kept on going probably for another one or two kilometres and found a good site, but by that stage we'd had it. Mm. We came across a good site uh, and that's where we ended up sleeping. Well, we came across a space <laughs> and, you know, it was a bit exposed, but, you know, it wasn't too bad. But um, that two kilometres down the road a bit, down the trail a bit, there were some really nice spots. But, hey, you don't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was, again, in hindsight, we I, I was aware that it was there, but I just was, couldn't quite place where it was or what it was going to be like. So I thought, we found a good site, that's where we're staying. Um, and the other thing I'd say is develop a routine. Um, on longer hikes, if you're only going for a night or maybe two nights, you know, the routine's not really going to develop. But if you're going hiking for a week or two or three or four weeks, get into a routine of how you hike. And as I said, for me, I typically uh, have a a very fixed routine when I go to uh, finish the end of the day. When I start the morning, uh, I have a very much a system in place on how I pack my my pack, the time I get up. Um, and again, at the end of the day, I know that I start looking for 10 sites at certain times. And that routine just gets you into a, a rhythm um, uh, for uh, uh, having a, a potentially a good night's sleep. Yeah, and I think the other thing about the routine is that, you know, when you're um, packing up for the night, um, you know, putting things away, putting things in places where, you know, they're not easily disturbed, um, you know, knowing where your kid is, all of that kind of stuff helps you then go, oh, okay, well, that noise might be, um, you know, the joey, um, n- nudging the pot or something like that. So you can kind of pinpoint it if you've got a bit of a plan about where things go on a normal basis. 
And I think uh, from a, a, a noise point of view or the worrying about the animals at night time, um, really what it comes down to is experience. But having said that, though, I have spent so many nights outside over the last few years camping in the middle of nowhere, and I, and I really do mean the middle of nowhere sometimes, and these noises still disturb my sleep. And even though I'm, I'm aware it's probably a kangaroo or a possum or something like that, it doesn't stop me from having a disturbed night's sleep. It doesn't matter how experienced you are or how, how new you are, you might be familiar with what's going on uh, and have a less disturbed sleep, but you're still going to have a, a disturbed sleep in that respect. Yeah, but you, you haven't been attacked by a crazy animal in the you know, middle of the night, though, have you? No. <laughs> I mean, you think you're going to be, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I think that's the other sort of thing perhaps to, to think about is just take a bit of a deep breath and uh, th- think about the possibilities and the likelihood of, you know, what it might be and... It's probably nothing at all. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. Our next episode in two weeks' time is going to focus on Australian bush myths. We're going to have a bit of fun with that one. We are going to have a bit of fun with that one. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.